You are listening to the Tour des Flâneurs, the cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapien. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage 6, today we're in Longy. Michael, mate, how was that day? Yeah, it's probably been one of the hardest Tour de France stages I, I ever done myself. Uh, Whoa, <laughs> yeah, that's really. a big call. It, yeah, it, it, it is looked like it. It is a big call because, like, you know, obviously mountain days are hard, but uh, this was not a mountain day. This was a, a more flat stage, but it was like, I think we had 50Ks an hour, and we, I never seen anything like that. The yellow jersey jumping around in front, going for a breakaway. Uh, I don't know if anybody told Van Aert if the race is, uh, if he think the race finished Sunday. That's exactly what I said. I said his engine's running hot. I'm like, wh where can it go from here? Every single day he's been doing sprints, the, obviously two days ago, today. Uh, I see myself, uh, so many guys is just fighting to stay in the, in the bunch, you know, and, uh, and you see the leader of the race uh, jumping like that in front of, to catch the breakaway is, is truly impressive. I, I think also many guys wasn't doubt if we would ever catch him today. What do you think that was all about? Because I'm still trying to work it out. I think he's just an extremely talented and strong rider and uh, he probably have a little bit uh, hard time to hold back. Apparently he doesn't feel his legs. <laughs> that was Mikkel Merku of Quickstep, the Danish rider of course, and he has ridden 119 Tour de France stages and he rates that as one of the hardest. It was certainly fast, 49.4 kilometres an hour average, well over 200 kilometres, lumpy, third and fourth category climbs on the route. We saw the yellow jersey off the front all day more or less uh, first in a group of about five then in a group of three then two and then finally solo until 11 kilometers to go we'll discuss what on earth Wout van Aert was doing up the road but first of all Francois where are we where well, we are in Longwy we're actually just outside of Longwy in, uh, in the suburbs I, uh, I should say uh, as we know from uh, previous stages in Longwy and you know, no insult to the Longwy people. It's a it's an area where it's not very easy to find a decent place to to have dinner. I, I managed to find by chance a place that's not far from a hotel, a little bit outside of everything. We we kind of walked through a field or and around warehouses to get here, but it's a, yeah, it's a nice place. It looks very promising. It's called Oxalis, and we've sat down and we have a lovely podcasting beer. I'm particularly happy about this, but Mitch. You must be even happier because we are drinking your favourite beer, your number one beer in the world. Well, we're actually in Orval country. Um, and if anyone knows me or anyone knows my podcast, Life in the Peloton, they'll know I'm spruiking about this beer all the time because it is amazing, this beer. It is one of the seven Trappists from Belgium. And the Trappist beers, if anyone doesn't know out there, it's a Belgian beer that was brewed by the monks back in the day. And if, to, to remain an actual Trappist beer... The beers still have to be produced in the original abbeys by the monks. I don't know if that is still the case. It's a bit loose on that side of things. But Orval is one of the beers that haven't... They have a limit to the amount of beers that they produce every year. Not to the extent of the West Fleeteren, which is one of the most famous. But they don't just mass produce. They have their limit. And it can be quite sought out because Orval is one of the only beers that can actually age and go up in price after the years. It's like a wine. So if you can find a beer, an Orval, that is, you know, two years older, it gets doubles in price, triples in price, and goes from there. The thing that happens with an Orval, the, ch the flavor changes, but it loses its gas as well as it gets older. But that's, that can become desirable for some people. It's very much like a wine, and when it's young, it's a bit more sharp, a bit more, you know, fresh. As it ages, it gets deeper, and the flavors are much stronger. Not desirable for some people. For me, I like it both ways, and I have aged some, and I've got two bottles left from 2014 I snuck them in my case took them back to Australia I'm waiting for a special night for those two <laughs> well tonight we're staying in a B&B &B hotels hotel aren't we I was half expecting Pierre Hollande to be on reception checking us in or something but no much disappointed that the riders don't have to do a shift in the local B&B &B hotel he after a tour stage he was he there was he was there he was, he was, was he? did you not see him no yeah. I didn't yeah, it was a picture of him like uh, you know old in a old in a cushion to his uh, you know to his uh, uh, cheek 
and uh, and looking like he's you know he's, he's having the sleep of his life. <laughs> well, he probably will need the sleep of his life tonight, mm. won't he? Because stage six was rapid, 49.4 kilometers an hour, well over 200 kilometers from Banche in Belgium to Longwy in France. And, well, we saw the yellow jersey, Wout van Aert, off the front, first of all in a group of five, that then became a group of three with Jakob Fulsang of Israel Premier Tech and Quinn Simmons of Trek Segafredo. He dropped, uh, well... To be fair, Fuxang dropped back after about, uh, with about 65 kilometres to go, uh, presumably realising that it, it was he was on a he was on a hiding to nothing with Van Aert. Uh, Simmons hung on a bit longer, but then he was dropped around 30-ish to go, and then Van Aert persisted with this move. The yellow jersey off the front. At one point, the time gap was kind of nudging four minutes, but he still held it around the minute mark for a long period of the stage towards the end. He had everybody chasing behind. EF were chasing for a long while. Bike Exchange were chasing. But he was caught on that penultimate climb with uh, 11 kilometres to go where he was finally captured. And then he went out of the back. So he's lost the yellow jersey after all of that work today. There was a crash in the bunch going around the right-hander with nine kilometres to go, which caused a bit of chaos as well. On the last climb, who was up there? Tish Banut was up there for Jumbo Visma. Michael Matthews was going very well at one point. And Alexis Villamos of Total Energy has put in a really good attack. Um, Correction corner. I mean, it, you can't... Sorry. It's Alexis Villamos. You don't pronounce either the S or, or the Z. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, another correction corner. It was actually the penultimate climb, really, because uh, the, the final climb to the finish was the, the final climb. So... Viermos was away. Have I got it wrong again? Viermos. <laughs> Even more wrong. Yeah. Alexis Viermos. <laughs> Thank you. You might just have to chip in there each time I mention him, Francois, because it's a tricky one for me, that. He attacked. He was caught. Pogacar was looking really sprightly. And then on that final climb, UAE Team Emirates had Rafael Micah and Brandon McNulty looking very, very strong, leading out Pogacar. And uh, with 500 metres to go, Pogacar in the white jersey, his best young rider, was in second place looking poised to win the stage, which he did with a fearsome sprint, an incredible acceleration. So he has won the stage and taken the yellow jersey. Michael Matthews was second, just as he was on the same climb at the finish in 2017, that time behind Peter Sagan. You may remember that stage. It was when Sagan pulled his foot in the sprint, got his foot back in carried on and still had the strength and power to win the stage uh, a very different Peter Sagan we're seeing this year and Pogacar is another level beyond even Peter Sagan at uh, his best even on a kind of punchy little climb like that so Tom Pidcock, Naira Quintana, Dylan Turns and Jonas Vingegaard were the next riders over the line uh, Geraint Thomas was distant a little bit lost five seconds as did Alexandra Vlasov but the real disappointment of the day in terms of the GC contenders after his difficult day on the cobbles yesterday, Australia's Ben O'Connor lost 2.37. Wout van Aert, 7.28, as I say, out of yellow. So Pogacar leads Nielsen Paulus by four seconds. Vingegaard, 31 seconds. We lost another two riders today. Alex Kirsch of Trek Segafredo didn't finish and Daniel Oss of Total Energies didn't start. Now, we saw Oss on the cobbles the last sector yesterday, didn't we, Mitch? It's reported this morning that he's got a fracture in his neck and he'd had some kind of mechanical problem or a puncture, hadn't he? And some fans, thinking they were helping him out, tried to push him off and he really aggressively waved them away. Now we know why. Also verbally. Very verbally, yes. Yes. So there we are, stage six. And with La Planche de Belfi tomorrow, the question we'll discuss in the next part is, uh, does that mean Tadej Pogacar has got three quarters of the way to winning his third consecutive Tour de France with barely a week's racing done. Before we move on, I must give an update on the vote for the cycling podcast Map Jersey. People have been voting at map.cc. You're trying to subvert the vote, Francois, here with some subliminal advertising for Czech, your favourite design. Fair enough, fair enough. Keep going, (laughs) keep going. Uh, The voting so far, dot has got 41% of the vote, Czech 31% of the vote, and Fade 28% of the vote. Just to annoy Francois, please vote for either Dot or Fade. (laughs) You can see all the designs at map.cc, and next week we'll actually hear from the designer uh, to find out a bit about the inspiration behind each of the three designs and uh, what it is about 
cycling jersey design that particularly appeals to him. His name is Misha Glisovic and he has uh, been at MAPS since the company started. The Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapien. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insight, and personalized analytics. We are here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you very much to Super Sapiens for sponsoring the Cycling Podcast. Listen to the Super Sapiens Podcast in your favourite app. You can hear the first couple of episodes, and the first one is with the triathlete Eloise Duluart. And here's a little teaser. It's all part of my plan. I shouldn't resent anything. I shouldn't resent the fact that I have a call that's ideal swim time. No, you're being paid to do this job that's part of you being able to do your professional professional triathlon, and you do enjoy it, and there's always another swim time. Like, don't ever resent what you're very grateful to have and what ha- essentially helps me do me every single day. That in terms of, my, I guess, my attitude to working part-time. Don't get me wrong, sometimes I wish I didn't, and I wish I could sit on the sofa all afternoon and just watch Stranger Things. <laughs> Whatever, that's me. <laughs> but it's all part of the process. Thank you very much to Super Sapiens for supporting the Cycling Podcast. Now, Mitch, Francois, what can we say about the stage? I mean, let's deal with Tadej Pogacar first because he looked incredibly impressive on that final climb, didn't he, Mitch? He did look very impressive. Once again, showing he is looking unbeatable in all aspects of the race. I cannot forget what he was doing yesterday. Just one day ago, flat cobblestones and putting it to one of the best cobblestone riders at the moment, Jasper Servan. And today flip things on their head and we've got a completely different stage and he's being showing the best against the sprint well the punchers so it's not even a long climb now it's the it's another it's another speciality here then we've got the long climb tomorrow no doubt we're expecting something the same well that's a hammer blow isn't it for anyone who is hoping to challenge Pogacar in the mountains because he's gaining time on the cobbles and now on the sort of climb that suits the likes of Michael Matthews and back in the day Peter Sagan. It's a kind of hybrid climb, isn't it? Not necessarily one for the GC riders, although they can do well and be well positioned, well placed, but really shouldn't be in a position to um, you know, dominate as strongly uh, as there we, uh, as well as in the big mountains. As we said yesterday, I mean, he, he can do everything except maybe bunch sprints, but we haven't seen him in the bunch sprint posi- you know, position before. I mean, who, who knows? You, you mentioned yesterday, uh, Vincenzo Nibali, we were discuss- discussing the 2014 tour when they, they were going to La Planche de Belfi. We also had crowds like in Yorkshire, you know, in Denmark. So it's a tour that looks a little bit like the, the, the 2014 tour. And, and already... You know, Tadej Pogacar looks as dominant as uh, Nibali was that, that in that tour, which is on all terrains. You know, like, as you said, yesterday on the cobbles, he didn't win the stage, but he was probably the most impressive rider on the cobbles. Today, you know, you had this kind of finish. We're, we're all asking ourselves this morning, who can win, you know? Sagan is not, you know, the rider he used to be. Alaphilippe is not uh, is not here. Is Tom Pitcock, you know... Uh, in the mix, we kind of dared not mention Pogacar, still knowing that probably he would he would be there so uh, at some stage. The the thing that gets me uh, the most about Pogacar is you can you can really tell he enjoys winning, enjoys every kind of uh, effort, like he enjoys the time trial, he enjoys that kind of punchy finishes, he, of course he enjoys you know breaking away in the mountains. He is still fresh. He's about to win. Well, he's on his way to win his third Tour de France, and he still got his boyish you know freshness in what he does, and it's it's really exciting to see and probably very depressing for you for his rivals mm. on the plus side though there are still a lot of his rivals okay they might be distant rivals when we get through the big mountains but there still are enough players involved to, to make this tour interesting we can't just say oh well that's it the tour is over after six stages there's still a long long way to go and when you look at the riders stacked up particularly Ineos Grenadiers uh, they've done well to get all four of their riders uh, okay 
So um, Geraint Thomas lost five seconds because of the gaps that opened uh, as they sprinted in. But they're all still there, aren't they? Martinez, Pidcock, Adam Yates, Geraint Thomas. They're looking good. Jumbo Visma will be encouraged that Primoz Roglic looked good today after his dislocated shoulder. You know, he had a little move uh, on the run-in and was in the mix. Quietly, Roman Bardet and Enric Mass are, are riding very well and were in that group as well. Nairo Quintana. Nairo Quintana, of course. Excellent on the cobbles yesterday and just quietly in there. So it's not, it's not done. But the thing about UAE Team Emirates is that they do feel like they've got a team behind Pogacar, which... The last couple of years, maybe two years ago, couldn't have been said. Last year, the team improved a bit. And then this year, it's improved another uh, kind of couple of levels, hasn't it? Let's hear from Rafael Mika, his Polish teammate, and then Brandon McNulty, the American, because they were crucial in the setup for the stage win. For sure, we come to win the Tour de France with Tadeo, of course. He's the best riders for now in the world. And uh, I'm so happy we win today the stage. Really fast. Today is really fast stage. We, we come around four hours something, then, yeah, full gas all the time. Actually, so many attacks, so many, you know, and Avanard is also the front, and, yeah, but we keep calm, and uh, some teams help us also. In the end, it's really fast. When it's coming the last 20Ks, we go really fast. All the team, you know, want to go in the front, in the front, and, and Tadej win. That is more important. Yeah, it wasn't even necessarily the part of the plan, but... We were all there into those last few climbs, and yeah, we just went. We had faith in him, so yeah, we just went all in, and yeah, he pulled it off. It was really a fight. You know, it was almost, I think, over an hour and a half, almost, just full gas, and then we never really even settled down. It was back to pacing instantly, so yeah, it was, it was a really tough day. Mitch, if you were the sports director at Ineos or Jumbo Visma, what would you be saying? Because it's La Planche de Belfie tomorrow, and somehow the challengers have got to pick themselves up and make sure that they don't concede too much more ground to Pogacar. Well I think Ineos is in a great position and they're sticking to what we initially said is that they're going to be taking a more aggressive attacking role. They're not lining up with their whole team with their one GC guy. I predict that these guys now, the four guys they got in the GC, are going to be able to really play their cards and this is the only way I think that Pogaccio is going to be put under pressure. UAE can't control everyone. There's going to come a point where the team is going to be exposed. We even saw it to an extent today. Uh, they were very impressive up the last climb. But once they have to take that on, you know, like that move today from um, Walt Van Aert, that put a lot of teams under stress today. One guy. You know, he is probably you know, a very special guy. But I think that's the way things have got to continue to go. If we're going to see something shaken up, you know, I don't know. I know teams aren't going to lay down and go. It's all over. That's for sure not. But we need to see this aggressive racing from Ineos that they've promised, that they said they want to do. Now it's time to do that tomorrow. Shake it up. Try some new things. And Francois, what we do know is that the cumulative effect of the Tour de France is often what catches riders out. They had a very hard day on the cobbles yesterday. Really fast, average speed. I mean, you can talk about tailwind all you like, but they've still got to ride at that pace and that intensity. Same again today, incredibly fast stage. They were so far up on schedule, it was, uh, it was crazy. And then tomorrow, the rhythm changes completely, doesn't it? Because, you know, it's kind of a, a flat run into La Planche de Belfie. Not only La Planche de Belfie, but also the gravel and the super planche. So a really difficult finish tomorrow. And, and everyone is going to be put under pressure, we assume, by Pogacar, but there are opportunities. Absolutely. I mean, you mentioned Ineos, of course. I mean, that's that's r really impressive. I mean, you know, four guys in the in the top eight is, uh, you know, with with a week, nearly a week completed and, and, you know, before the serious business starts. I, I, I wouldn't rule out Jumbo Visma. They had a bad day yesterday, and but in the end, a bad, well, a relatively bad day. I think in a way, uh, it, it kind of solved solved their problems of leadership yesterday and we, we, we saw again today Jonas Vingegaard looks very strong actually yet without this puncture he will, he will still be very close to, to, to the top and I mean I, I asked Franz Masson this morning I said you, you, you did have your bad day so what's you know what, what next I mean you, what, every team has their bad day you've had it so maybe you know it, we, we, that's it that's, it's done you know and I, and, I, and I found that now I mean the leadership 
uh, problem is probably solved. I mean, we, we know the Primoz Rock is way back. He had a, a, this dislocated shoulder. We don't exactly know what the impact will be. But we saw today that he was the, the first to attack on the, the last climb. So, I mean, this aggressive riding, this kind of, uh, you know, skirmishes coming from all, uh, you know, all angles can also be one of the strategies for and one of the tactics for Yumo Visma. So, Pogacar hasn't yet, you know, uh, solved the problems of, you know, the harassing from the uh, other teams. Yet, you know, the way today uh, they, they were supposed to be chasing bef behind the the, uh, the break because you know Wout van Aert was was uh, was there, you couldn't really say they were affected by 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 the by the, the breakaway when you have two guys to lead out, you know, their leaders on the the the, the, the on the final stretch uh, like they did today, uh, UAE. Look strong as well. So I mean, you know, still, still very exciting. Of course, Pogacar has, you know, made his point clear. We knew that, that this would happen, but nobody's re really lost. And once again, after a week, I, I, I still the strengths are in yours. Who will be the team leader? We still don't know. Adam Yates look, looks good. Danny Martinez never loses it. Karen Thomas is there in the mix as well. So you know, exciting top. Pitcock today. I've got one of those silly statistics about Tom Pitcock. He's now the third youngest British rider to be <laughs> to finish in the top three um, of a Tour de France stage. Tenuous, tenuous that, Francois. But, I but mean you, 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 you'll <laughs> never find out who, well, we'll ask our listeners, who, who is the youngest uh, youngest British rider to, right, finish to have top finished top three, three in, a tour uh, stage. in a tour stage? I'm yeah. imagining then that it's, uh, it's a bit of a left field answer, is it? Michael Wright. Mm, it's a, it's a long way. It's oh. a long it's a long time ago. And I, I, I to be honest, I, di I didn't I didn't know that. You know, it's a kind of statue you get. You do, know. You, do you know the answer? I know the answer. Well, tell us the answer. It was 19, 1967 and the writer was Peter Hale. Ah, okay, okay, well. interesting, interesting. We're talking about Ben O'Connor and how his morale might have taken a dent. Uh, after the ordeal on the cobbles, really. I mean, he got through it. He'd lost some time. You know, that was recoverable, I guess. Uh, but today he had another difficult day. And Mitch, you spoke to him at the finish. And as we'll hear, having a difficult few days on the Tour de France. Ben, how was that, mate? I'll let you keep rolling because that was ridiculously hard. Yeah, that was, uh, that was one of the toughest stages, that's for sure. Um, off the back of yesterday as well? Yeah, I just... Uh, I'm not really sure what to say. I'm... Uh, Oh, I could cry. I'm really disappointed today. How are you feeling now with the, the pace of the peloton now? Have you felt like today, off the back of the last few days, it just feels like things are ridiculous out there? I mean, we had a rocking tailwind today, so it looks super rapid, but that's, uh, that's the reason why I'm just still suffering from this uh, crash myself. You know, it's not like anything changed out there from Dauphiné to... Catalonia, this is how I've been racing all year. <laughs> and you can probably tell yourself that it's also been like that the last couple of years. So, oh, don't know what to say. Get in the bus, mate, recover. Well, when you think back to last year's tour and how well Ben O'Connor did, I mean, he was a star of the show, wasn't he? Uh, when the race first hit the mountains, he's had a difficult couple of days here. And, well, my heart kind of broke for him a bit there because he sounds like uh, he needs picking up by uh, his team management or something just to get him through the next few days and, and see whether he can come round for the, you know, the second half of the tour. Well, he's a guy that you know, thrives on the confidence and we saw that with his statement you know, before he went into Dauphiné. I want to finish top three on a, you know, on a world tour stage. And he went there and did it. Not a lot of riders will put that out there. They won't put themselves in that vulnerable position. But clearly that is something that he really likes. So... On the flip side, when he's not feeling the confidence, I don't know how that's going to be. It was it was, it was quite a, a crushing conversation with him today after the race. Um, I really did feel for him because I know he you know he holds that level that that idea of himself that he where he wants to go. So you know he's got his goals and he, he'll reset. Um, I just hope the damage hasn't been done and his head doesn't roll off per se. I don't think it will. I think he's stronger than that. He hasn't got to that position. You know, and just sort of keel over and die, you know, just because he hasn't had a good day. I think I caught him at that moment, at the end of the race, where all that emotion was in his head. But I know that he'll come back strong. And actually, in my opinion, it makes him very dangerous. Slightly off GC, there's going to be enough people to watch. 
And we've already seen it when he's been slightly off GC. He can get himself back in. He's a rider of that quality. And suddenly now he's super dangerous. Someone they can't control. They can't afford to control everyone sitting at two minutes down or wherever he's sitting. They're going to have to let someone go. He could be that guy that gets up the road and gets himself straight back into it. Yeah, this said, if you look at the results today, I mean, you know, you 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 have guys that after a week of racing have managed to 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 you know finish unscathed. I'm thinking of Nairo Quintana. We mentioned him. If you if you look at the results, David Godu was third today on on a terrain that 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 suits him. But it's you know, tomorrow is is a very important stage for Groupama FDJ because we're in on, in Thibaut Pinot's homeland. Uh, so so for them, you know, it's one of the the the, the the stages to watch. Roman Bardet as well, you know, has, has not has been there always. You know, uh, talked to him at the at, at the finish, and well, it, it was it was more you know expressing his admiration for uh, Wout van Aert than, than talking about his own chances. But you know, you can you can tell by his kind of discretion and kind of you know confidence that that is there. We were talking about Ben O'Connor to stay with Australians. I also talked to. Uh, uh, Matt White at the finish and Matt, uh, Michael Matthews finished second like he did uh, you know, be, be, uh, behind Peter Sagan and Matt White was really frustrated because he said Michael is too nice you know in, uh, on, in the finale he'd done the right thing he was, he was in, in, the, you know, in Pogacar's wheel he could have used his slipstream when Pogacar attacked to overtake him but only a few riders were, were in the way Tish Benoot uh, uh, you know a couple of Colombians and th- that, that's probably a problem I mean you, you know Bling as they call him better than I do but really with a little bit more will power a little bit more aggressiveness do you think he could have challenged I mean he could have had boxing gloves on and he'd still have finished second to Pogacar today I mean uh, yeah I get what you're saying and and it's frustrating to be in a great position but when Pogacar turned on the afterburners there was only going to be one winner as far as I could see really it looked that way yes but I I do agree with Francois that Mm. it is if there is a downfall you know there is one downfall of Michael but is that a downfall you're a nice guy you know you want to be known as a real a real rough guy with all these with all these stage wins and all these wins. That's that hard decision you've got well, to make as an athlete. That's a philosophical question, it? isn't it? You know, nice guy with loads of wins or no, uh, nice guy with no wins oh, versus nasty a, guy and, <laughs> with loads of wins. A nasty word well. with lots of wins. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Bloomingdale's, Levi's, and Zappos. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Now, Francois, you've ordered another Orval. Thank you very much. In a way, you fulfilled an ambition that's been burning for the best part of a week because, Francois, you were telling Mitch about this secret van that travels around with the Tour de France. Yeah, it's called Le Cul du Camion. I mean, so our French listeners, we know what I mean. It means the uh, the backside of the truck, if you want, the rear of the van. And it's actually, a, 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 I mean, ASO have got have got a little van going through all around France, and they've they've got they've got this the same van on all their races. And it's a nondescript van, you know. There's nothing special to it. Only it's parked, you know, not too far away from the the, the, the press center every day and the, the permanence, which is the place where all the big shots of ASO. Uh, stay at the back of the van. You know they open up the, the, the doors and uh, you spread a little bit of uh, a few chairs there. 
and have uh, uh, you know and drink Ricard from uh, a plastic uh, cups. You know, it's it's pretty strange, but they do that almost at almost every race. It lasts it's like lasts like nearly an hour of you know debriefing the race, uh, drinking a few beers, and uh, and it's become kind of a legend. You know, to be invited at the Cue du Camion at the rear of the the van, you must be really you know in, an, an insider of the race well we felt like gate crashes a bit didn't mm. we Mitch Thierry Gouvenou was there of course the course director Seb Piquet turned up in red car number one the voice of race radio of course and a very good friend of the cycling podcast um, we were kind of on the edge of the group you chatting you were chatting away Mitch to some people that you knew but we weren't invited to join them for a drink were we it's very much an ASO insiders thing I get the feeling I felt like I was would have been I just there was something, yeah, I felt on my own. I probably had a better chance, but, you know, with <laughs> well, my two... You know. But with us two losers, <laughs> there was no way we were going to well, get invited. I've, I've, I've been invited. Oh, to, well, yeah. I've been invited to the Cudi Camion more than once, but oh. I didn't want, you know, to intrude too much. But, you no, know, Edwin insisted just a little bit they would have offered Ricard. But w- did you guys really want, you know, warm no. Ricard the back of the, the van? Not really. I don't know no. if we're supposed to be talking about it. I think it was Do a you bit think of it's a, secret? you know... Yeah, it's well, just listeners, just ignore the last couple of <laughs> yeah. minutes of the podcast. <laughs> Mitch, you were saying you were slightly underwhelmed. You were expecting it to be a bit more, I don't know, pimped up. You, you could probably lay on a much better... Um, van, a, a, well, a lot more choice, maybe. Get it was some presented beers on to me ice. like it was. There was mini fridges there, and you know, there's going to be you know laid out sort of you know appetizers and a bit of cheese with a cheese board, that sort of feel. But, but, but if it's too showy and too you know, mm. and, people and, know. Yeah, people would know what it is. Like, here, you, you see a group of people. You know, you, you have the impression they discussed the race or some you know some technical issue, and you have no idea that actually Thierry Gouvenou, you know, the, 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 the sports director of the tour of France, you, you and Seb Piquet. I mean, all these guys and Jean, uh, you know, Jean-Michel Monin, uh, was a writer you've known for forever. Was in charge of the paddock. You think they're discussing the organization of the race? They're not at all. They're just having a drink. They're just having a post-race drink. And why not? Um, before we discuss the issue of what on earth Walt van Aert was doing today. Let's also give a shout out to Total Energies because we stopped at a service station today and uh, they wanted 80 cents to visit the toilet. I was I was stunned that all the staff behind the counter were wearing kind of uh, T-shirts that look like the Total Energies jersey. Is that help uh, funding the team? Yeah, you're right. I hope. Yeah, I hope. Eighty cent cents. You know, it's two, three of us. It's two, two euros and forty cents. It's probably the. It's probably paying for a cap, that you know, for Peter Sagan. It, I think it's going directly into Sagan's pocket. That money. <laughs> you know, literally <laughs> taking the uh, taking the pee there with uh, with the charge at the service station. Anyway, Wout van Aert. I mean, we were stunned when we heard that he was up the road in the break riding very strongly I mean they, they weren't hanging about were they when we saw the three of them together Quinn Simmons and Jakob Fulsang I mean three class quality riders um, perfect for this sort of terrain I mean uh, Fulsang is a veteran of Liège Baston Liège and of course we're you know he's won the race and we're not a million miles away from uh, that sort of countryside Quinn Simmons is obviously a talent Wout van Aert is one of the best riders in the world on almost all terrain and we wondered what on earth they were doing especially when the gap got up to four minutes Francois you spoke to Franz Masson mm-hmm. one of the sports directors at Jumbo Visma at the finish so he confirmed one of the theories we had because I mean, obviously we discussed the, prop, the, the the point you know in the car and one of these suggestions was that by putting someone in front uh, Jumbo Visma were not do, uh, you know you were not doing the chasing job it, it was up to the other teams to work in the uh, you know in the peloton to work at the front of the bunch to chase behind the, the breakaway and so Jumbo Visma had a reasonably uh, easy day that, that's that's the, uh, the, the that's the um, the option uh, Masson decided to you know defend uh, at the end of the stage to me it, it looks a little bit like you know in, in some rugby or football matches you know when things when the script goes a little bit off bonds that, that there's always a logical explanation that comes afterwards so I, I'm not really sure it's it's valid but it's it's, it's a fair point my personal take on it uh, and and I've seen on on the social network that there, 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 there's been questions about uh, Wout van Aert team spirit, you know, when he should maybe have stayed with the leaders, is, is also that I'm sure van Aert, after his, you know, ex- very exciting win in Cali, was very frustrated by yesterday's stage when, you know, 
he had this problem crashed and uh, had, had to work for his leaders and and it was probably his, his last opportunity to shine before the mountains and, and maybe we'll see more of Van Aert at the end of the, the Tour de France at, in Rocamadour or uh, in Paris but but you know he's, he's up for two weeks of domestic job so it was his last day uh, of uh, you know uh, in the in the limelight so what do you think, Mitch? I mean, well, you, what's I'm, your take on it? Yeah, I, I, the only thing I could sort of see with that was that it was Belgium. You know, the one stage that went through Belgium. And I was there at the start today when we were at the buses. And as he rolled past, it was almost like a Mexican wave of just noise as he rolled with the crowd. You know, going past. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah. It was almost like Francois in his check, 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 wasn't it? Yeah. But, you know. It was a bit louder. <laughs> it um, was loud, yeah. Check. It was... <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know I think from what I understand with Fuslang he so Israel Premier Tech really wanted one in that move today and I think because it was so aggressive at the start it took over 50k before it went everyone was down to the resources and Fuslang was simply covering a move ended, in, ended up in there by chance just so they had one there good GC guys were moving the yellow jersey so he, he jumped on it then when he was in there, the, from what I understand, the direction was, well, stay there. If this goes to five minutes, this is a good chance. When it didn't get to five minutes, he pulled over, had himself a little pee, went back to the peloton. The thing that showed me how impressive what Van Aert was, again, was that Quinn Simmons was actually ridden out of the wheel. Yeah. And we've all had that moment when you're just riding on, you know, it was a slight uphill, it wasn't crazy. Wout did not attack, really. Just got out of the seat. And Quinn Simmons, and he is a very strong rider. I've ridden with him the last couple of years. He got ridden out of the wheel, and he was suffering up there. And he just, and then Wout just went on. And the thing that impressed me so much was just the teams having to just use guys up, burn guys to get him back. It was getting to dangerous situations. Of course, they got him back 10K to go. But, I mean, it was a hard day out there. The feeling I got from all the riders I spoke to at the end the ones I recorded, the ones I didn't record, was just, what is going on? This was just ridiculous. This was so hard. A day I certainly would not have loved. Well, maybe that's the strategy, isn't it? Because the more attritional, the harder, the more unpredictable it is, the more chance there is that something you know, incredible and unpredictable might happen further down the line. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, Francois, you spoke to Roman Bardet today about uh, Van Aert, and it's really interesting to hear his perspective as a rider because, you know, there's all these kind of discussions um, about, you know, what the yellow jersey should and shouldn't do in the Tour de France. And, you know, we don't often see the yellow jersey off the front, up the road, in a break like that. Obviously, in the mountains, when the, when the yellow jersey is racing for the overall win, we see attacks all the time. But on these kind of stages, we don't see this kind of racing. So uh, it was really interesting to hear Roman Bardet's perspective. And, and, and I'm not saying he speaks for the peloton, but he certainly gives an interesting point of view. He's a... Uh and he made champion and uh, he almost made it. Honestly, everyone was super impressed with what he did. I think he's honoring uh, the race with uh, his action and uh, we can only yeah, just salute him because he is making cycling beautiful. Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science in Sport for supporting the cycling podcast. I mean, we are recording literally in our feed zone, aren't we? We're at our restaurant table. We're looking at the menu. Uh, we're going to fuel for the night, make sure we're fit, ready for tomorrow's podcast. Big day ahead of us. If you're riding, any kind of riding, riding or racing, uh, going on a sportive type event or just bike packing, it's always a good idea to fuel properly. And Science in Sport have all of the products you need for before, during and after your ride can particularly recommend the beta fuel because when I was riding around Scotland that was basically my fuel I was uh, just supplementing all the, the normal food I was eating topping up little and often with the beta fuel throughout the day and I didn't feel like I was uh, overloading and, and, and making my stomach work too hard because the beta fuel drinks are just giving you a lot of carbohydrate in a very efficient manner you can get 25% off all science and sport products at scienceinsport.com with the code SISCP25. 
Francois, Mitch, we need to look back a little bit at yesterday because although we were out there on the cobbles, I mean, we got closer than almost anyone, really, didn't we, Mitch? And Francois, you had eyes on the race. As I said in the podcast yesterday, the stories come out in the wash overnight, don't they? And one of the things that everyone latched onto was what was Alberto Betiol of EF doing? Because he was at one point on the front. There were accusations and suggestions, including from one of the GCN pundits, Robbie McEwen, that uh, perhaps... Uh, Betiol was doing a bit too much to assist Tadej Pogacar while he had two teammates up the road. Jonathan Vaught has tweeted to say that the, the debrief would be interesting. And, well, there was a bit of a media scrum around the EF Education Easy Post team boss this morning at the start. And this is what Jonathan Vaught has said. It was interesting. I mean, end of the day, like, I'm not going to disclose what we talk about in a debrief because that's that's why it's a private debrief. But uh, end of the day, it took longer than a normal debrief would. And at the end of it, we came to a good conclusion and we came out of it in a good place as a unified team. So it took a while to get there, but we got there. Very bluntly speaking that, you know, Alberto you know, he won the most prestigious one-day race in the world a few years ago. And he's had to deal with some incredibly difficult health issues since then. Um, some health issues that for a lot of people would have ended their career. He hasn't been like really at the front of a race for a while. And he hasn't had really good legs for a long time. He just got into a situation where he was just overly excited and kind of forgot himself a little bit. He owns that. You know, he apologized to his teammates and just said, I got too excited. It's, it's, it's really that simple. It's not, there's not as many conspiracy theories as as you evil journalists like to make. Vought is playing it down there. I also think that a bit of a mountain has been made out of a molehill or an ore category controversy has been made out of a fourth category rumpus because Betio was racing. He's a Tour of Flanders champion in the past. The cobbles are his territory. He's had a rough time over the past couple of years, feeling good, going for it. The optics obviously weren't great because, you know, he may have cost Nielsen Paulus something. But I spoke to Tom Southern, one of the sports directors. And as you said, Francois, yesterday, Charlie Wigelius was the person who came up with this plan to try and get either Paulus or Uran or both of them up the road with a teammate to gain time. And Southern confirmed that the objective of the day was to get Paulus ahead of everybody for the cobbles so that he was following fewer wheels. He had a clear line. He would be out of the chaos and mayhem, less like to crash or have problems or lose wheels and lose time and so they were really happy with how the stage panned out it's just that as it got towards the end the tantalizing prospect of a stage win and the yellow jersey were both within reach and of course neither panned out and so the overriding kind of impression was oh well they must be disappointed but he claimed that they weren't disappointed and so you know this suggestion that Betio was riding against team orders I don't know what you think Mitch but I just thought maybe a little bit overblown. Well, I 100% agree with the plan. I never thought of such an idea myself. I think it was a great idea because I've ridden off the front of Roubaix a couple of times and I can tell you firsthand, riding in a breakaway on Roubaix is a completely different race than riding in the peloton. And that is the best idea for the GC guys. I never really thought of it and I thought, oh, wow, that's, a, that's an amazing idea. Then I thought about the stage and obviously the yellow jersey. It was, it was a really good plan from EF. And actually, even though they didn't come away with the stage and even though they didn't come away with the yellow jersey, I still think it was really successful because I think the yellow jersey may have been a hindrance. You know, I felt a bit sad for Nielsen today because that was a real chance for him to get the yellow jersey. That would have been a nice little tip of the cap, you know. Yesterday, to get the yellow jersey, they would have had to ride control today, a very hard day to control, and they potentially would have put a lot of riders in the red. So it can be a blessing in disguise. And um, about Alberto, I don't believe that. I know him personally, and I don't believe that he has that sort of motive or he is very, very respectful. And I don't, just don't think he would go about it like that way. So why was he at the front? Why was he talking today, Pagacha, about who knows what? And it looked like he was working together. I don't know. I think there is something about just getting caught up in the moment you can't under underestimate how hectic it is at Roubaix you don't know what's going on and people are like oh, how could he not know what's going on he may have thought Rigo was in the wheels they weren't thinking about trying to take the yellow jersey as you said so no one was thinking oh don't chase Nielsen down because he's going to get the yellow that was just the outcome at the end of the day so I think this is a situation I don't believe that 
it was his first chance to feel good and he's, you know, that story that has been spun because he was going very well at Tour of Swiss. I just think it was the moment he got caught up in the race. He was trying to do his job, trying to ride hard, close the gap, not thinking of the consequences. Francois, you had a better excuse for EF when it came to explaining what Betiol was doing, didn't you? You had a uh, ready-made. You could go into PR. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I think, you know... Well, one of the things is it's better. It's always better for a rider, you know, to ride up the front on the cobbles anyway, uh, than 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 to be at the back. So uh, you you you're you know, you're Alberto Betiol. You're in, you're uh, in a group like this. You, you have two of your teammates in in front of, uh, in front. So one, it's better to pick your cobbles, to pick your way to be in the front than at the back in the bunch with the dust and everything. Secondly. And and I, we all know that happens, you know, and that's what I would have had, had I been a PR man. Sometimes when you go up to the front of the chase, it's just to slow down the chase, you know. And and and, and it's something that that, I mean, obviously, well, we should we should have a look at, at, at you know, did actually the Pogacar group take back that much uh, 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 on the breakaway? No, they didn't, you know. Mm. And then Betel on only like took turns with Pogacar for like. 10Ks and, and two, two sectors. So I, th I think it, it was, as you said, it was really totally beefed up, you know, th this controversy. My impression is I, I love my colleagues and I've been a uh, I'm a journalist and we, we like good stories and we like good controversies, obviously. But let, let's face it, we we had the first week of the tour. It was announced, like, you know, everybody was, oh, beware of Denmark, echelons, ooh, beware of the bridge, you know, it'll be hell. And then, ooh, the wait for the cobbles is going to be... You know, and in the end, compared to the last year when no cobbles, no bridge, no echelons, well, actually, not no real echelons, we were, were in Brittany, you, you had crashes, you know, mm. and in big, big pileups every day. So the controversy was there, oh, you know, safety. And it's funny because my, uh, every day in the first week when I talked to, to, to team directors, before the stage, I said, oh, yeah, well, you know, the course, I mean, ASO, Thierry Gouvenou, they're really trying to make sure that there's going to be crap. And none of that happened. So when you don't have that kind of news stories, well, you, 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 you we, make, we them, make them up. up. Yeah. We'll create them. But, Mitch, you've got a real-world example of, of actually slowing down a break by riding mm. on the front. I totally agree with Francois that, you know, I've been in that situation myself. I was at the Commonwealth Games um, in, in the Gold Coast at the last Commonwealth Games. And um, I got my, found myself in the break, and it wasn't an ideal situation for us. And Brad McGee, our director sportive, came up to me. We had the Australia riding behind for Steel Van Hoff, our, who won the event in the end. He came up and he's like, what are you rolling through for? Why, why are you still working with these guys? We're chasing behind. And I said, Brad, are we extending the time? They're like, no, we're not. I said, well, because I'm actually rolling through here and I'm slowing it down. Every time I go to the front, I take it off one or two K an hour. And then the guy behind me, he rolls through at the same speed. By the time it gets back around again, they try and get the speed up again. We've actually lost five, six seconds to the peloton. If I just sit on the back and just stay out of the way, the group's going to work really well together and actually extend it and be a harder chase for Australia. At the, in, in, in the Commonwealth Games, we've only got five riders. So I thought it's better for me to roll through, use my experience, my um, influence and actually try and intimidate these guys. This is the speed we need to ride, believe me. And actually, I was slowing it right down. Well, the controversy uh, really was kind of, you know, washed away by the events of today's stage, wasn't it? Uh, the suggestion, I gather, the suggestion that uh, Betiol has got a move lined up to UAE Team Emirates, that that's why the mark is contracted to EF. Um, but I have got a conspiracy theory of my own, which is an absolute... I'm, I'm just flying this one, but maybe it was a storyline created for the Netflix documentary. Of course, Netflix are here. <laughs> they want stories. You know, Jonathan Vortes is, uh, you know, sometimes thinks his way, you know, into a cul-de-sac and back out again and then round the corner. Um, maybe they were kind of, you know, planting a little storyline to get themselves a prominent slot on the Netflix documentary. I mean, that's just a, a silly suggestion, but... You know, the tour thrives on these stories, doesn't it? Mm, uh, talking about Netflix, I heard that they were looking for a, a, a you know, a, a male voice <laughs> with, with, with a slight French accent to do voiceovers. Well, on on their you are know, you going to do series. it? Uh, I, I've been quite of in, I've been yeah indirectly approached. So I mean, you know, Netflix people, if you're listening to the podcast, uh, 
You're very why, reasonable. Why, why not? You know, just give me a, just give me a ring. Two ovals, and he's yours, Netflix. <laughs> um, let's wrap up yesterday because Mitch, at the start this morning, you spoke to the two of the riders in that break, Taco van der Horn, who nearly won, and Simon Clark from Australia, who did win. So let's hear what Taco van der Horn and Simon Clark said. Well, Taco, so not so much luck with the breakaway so far. I thought you, I thought I would have seen you feature at least in about four breaks already. But what's been going on? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit done with only going in the break for no results. I only choose the days where I think there's a chance, and I wanted to save my legs for yesterday, so uh, I didn't want to waste any energy in the in the first days. And yesterday, an amazing ride by you. Very, very hard to call at the end, even to a photo finish. What was your idea coming into the finish there? You know, obviously, you have a plan. That's something we, you and I talked about before. Was it exactly how it worked out for you? Obviously, not for the final, yeah, final yeah, bit. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. in your mind, that was how you wanted to play it? I knew where there was a, already from the start where there was a, a small narrowing where I think there was a good chance to go. So I went there full gas and then we rode away. So there was, was, there was already a courting plan. And then we had a, a good group and we... I was also the plan to keep riding high speed all day and don't do easy and then speed up because uh, there you need as much as time before the first section. So uh, so we did really good in that. I think we were riding 50k for the two, uh, first two hours it was pretty fast. And then in the final it was was nice that uh, EF killed himself a bit uh, with uh, having two guys and then only one guy in the front. So that was making it easier. And I wanted to attack maybe in in the last k, but then Nielsen went. And then it was not on me to, uh, to counter because I'm not the fastest guy, so I uh, just gambled. And then uh, I was in perfect position, but uh, yeah, in the end, I just not make it. It was an incredible effort. I'm not going to downplay that, but you know how it goes. You especially know how it goes. Are you still happy with that result, all things considered? You know, was the team still happy with it? Was it because it was an amazing ride? Quite disappointment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're so close to a tour stage, then. Uh, then you, you want to win and, and the team was yeah I was happy and they also did everything uh, you could but uh, yeah Simon mate you must be feeling over the moon you know a Tour de France stage but just where you've come from like we were speaking together you know in the off season like yeah oh, I don't know what's going to happen this year you kicked off the season so well already like to be proud of that but this is like icing on the cake for your whole career but also from this season you couldn't you couldn't ride it better could you just so happy I, I, I just try and always look forward you know stay positive and everyone has tough times whether it's injuries or illness or you know I've had bad luck recently with a, a few teams folding and whatnot and you just got to stay positive and keep moving forward and you know that's what I'm doing and it seems to be working so run me through the final bit I just spoke to Taco actually <laughs> and I said you know you still got to be happy with that ride but he wasn't he was very disappointed because he gambled, but I feel like you even gambled more than he gambled. And a serious poker game out there, wasn't it? Run me through the final, what you were thinking, especially when Nielsen went off the front. As you know, I've been in those situations quite a few times before in the Vuelta when I've won, and you have to gamble. You have to be cold, and you have to be willing to lose. Palace went, and I went to go. You'll see on the video, I went to go after him, and then I suddenly thought, no, it's not up to me. This is up to the other two who are, who are on paper the better sprinters than I am. So I sat back and I said, no, I'll leave this up to them. And then when they weren't going, I was starting to get a little bit worried. And I, and I thought, I'll just leave Edvold a few bike links in the corner. And maybe if he looks back, that'll be enough bait for him to try and get the jump on me. And, and, and that worked perfectly. And he, he went and then I went after him and he basically towed us back in and brought us back into the game. And then I know Taco likes a long sprint. We saw him win that race uh, a month or so ago. And he just hits out at 400 and rides the guys off the wheel. And he, he has an amazing sprint, but a long one. And so then when he, he went and I looked up and saw the 350 to go board, I was like, oh, this is, we've been sprinting for 800 meters here already. <laughs> if he can do this all the way to the line, this is gonna be impressive. So I just tried to get on the wheel wait leave it as absolute late as possible and every time i got out of the seat i was cramping you see me get out of the seat and then back in it i was cramping in both legs and then uh yeah like 50 meters to go i just went for the line and to be honest i didn't think i got it i was still like half a bike length behind him when we started hitting the the skoda signage there and i just said i'm gonna need the the, the best throw i've ever thrown uh 
to, to get this and just lined up the biggest lunge I could and yeah, I can't believe it. Well, we need to order our dinner, but before we go, a quick edition of the Michelin Guide because we had a very nice hotel last night, Le Grand Duc in mm. Valenciennes. We had a really nice meal and uh, a couple of very nice local beers as people who listened last night will have known. But Mitch, from the hotel point of view, uh, what was your what was your rating? I really liked it. I'm going to give it, I'm not going to give it five. I can't because the internet wasn't working. I know it's a silly thing, but the aesthetics of the place was amazing. You, it was one of those places, Francois, was it like an old, what, what sort of building was it? I think it's, it's probably a, what, what we'll call a, a maison bourgeoise, you know, it's, it's oh, a of kind course, of a, 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 a kind of a, yeah, a kind of mansion, you know, townhouse, you know, used by the, the people in Valenciennes. Valenciennes was a text, textile town, so there were probably, you know, so some guys making a little bit of money out of this in the in the late 19th century. And, and, and this is a kind of house. It looks, you know, it, it looks a, a little bit nondescript mm. from the outside. And then when you get inside, you know, because these guys at, at the time, they didn't want to show off. So, you know, the, the, the wealth was... Hidden, and, I, and and there was a case there. That's what I was about to say. Is that once you got outside the backyard, it just kept going. Mm. You know, it was, it was an amazing garden in the backyard. But what made it for me was the hotel owner. He was fantastic. A really good service. Came out, and one one thing I found quite funny. I don't know, actually, afterwards I thought it was quite creepy, but <laughs> it was quite entertaining at the time. Was what we were talking about. Suddenly, the music would play. So, for instance, we'd be talking about. Oh, I think it's going to rain tomorrow. Yeah, rain. And then all of a sudden it'd be... Um, Raindrops are falling rain drops my are head. Raindrops are falling in my head. It would yeah. start playing, you know? And the music matched the conversation, it really didn't it? did. Which yeah. afterwards, when I thought about it, I was like, oh, that's a bit weird because he was listening to our conversation. But it was quite nice at the time. The wines were very good. The dinner was fen- phenomenal. And the rooms. The rooms were great too. A really nice big bathroom. So look, in well, the Michelin Guide... Michelin Guide... 4.5. <laughs> half stars. Excellent. I mean, Mitch, I do have to point out that if, uh, you know, our business model does depend on people listening to what we say. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm quite quite okay with that. Coincidentally, uh, Richard Moore and I and our agent David Luxton and friend of the podcast and photographer extraordinaire Simon Gill, we all stayed there in that hotel for Paris-Roubaix last year, which was, of course, your last pro race um, a weekend I remember very fondly, and so I was, weirdly, I was in exactly the same room as I was on that trip with Richard. And so, as people will know, we've been finishing our episodes with an episode of the Tour de Buffalo. And this takes us back, because tomorrow the race goes to La Planche de Belfit, and Francois, you'll remember this. Do you remember the water challenge? I when do. you told us in the car that you could de- define the different bottled waters you know Volvic Evian uh, some of the other brands you could tell them apart just on a blind test and we did not believe you and so we went to a shop and we bought these different waters and well this is what happened the Tour du Buffalo remembering Richard Moore so my brother actually messaged me to say that I should have told his stoat joke in the episode which is What's the difference between a stoat and a weasel? I don't know. One's weaselly identified, the other's totally different. Oh, 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 very good. I mean, the, the, tum- the tumbleweed will be blowing through in a minute. <laughs> What's the difference between a good joke and a bad joke timing? <laughs> oh, this is nonsense. It's been the first big stage of the Tour de France, and we're, um, you know, we're, we're, but let's go from the sublime to the ridiculous. So this does at least have a, a, a Tour de France. Um, theme to it. We well, we finished in Vittel yesterday. The stage start was in Vittel this morning, of course famous for its mineral water, but last night we were staying just down the road, around five kilometres away, at Contrexeville, which is famous for its water also. And I asked Francois whether there had ever been a big rivalry between the water producers, and apparently in the past there would have been, because these two communities um, with their water, trying to dominate the water market, um, they're both now owned by Nestle, Vittel mm. and Contrex uh, Water, so, but you were saying this morning in the car that you reckoned you could pick out contracts yeah. in a lineup. Yeah, co- contracts is very is well, as, well, it's kind of different from the others. Normally, uh, I have four glasses of water in front of me. I suppose one is Evian, one is Vitel, the other one is Volvic, and another one is Contrex. And the, the mission I've been 
um, offered uh, is to uh, well determine well if if I can you know the grand slam would be to to detect get them all but yeah. the, you've got to you've get got to try more. and pick but, out but, the contracts. But blind but here. The, <laughs> this is the first ever edition of the cycling podcast water feature. I'm photographing that was this. that was Richard's uh, uh, suggestion for a feature. title. The water, water feature. feature. If it goes well, this could be a daily thing, guys. Come on. Well, <laughs> Saint Georges. Hopefully, okay. in Nuit Saint Georges, we'll taste me. wine, but uh, we'll see. Okay. I'm not sure. Well, we'll, we'll find out. Know. We'll find out later, won't we? So, glass number one, please. We're going to have to hurry you along here, Francois. You haven't got time to swill it round or sniff it. You've just got a taste. Take a big gulp there of glass number one. Is that Contrex? No, shaking his head. Okay, glass number two. God, he's doing this with the the verve of a seasoned wine taster. Mm, okay. Glass, glass number three. That's Contrex. Oh, he's gone. He's gone straight for it. And glass number four. Right, that's Vitel. Evian, Volvic, Contrex. Absolutely, that's 100%. extraordinary. <laughs> I'm absolutely. I'm. I was that's, so looking forward to that amazing. being wrong. I mean, I really, we must promise everybody here. I didn't cheat. No, no, that was, was absolutely 100. percent I wow. mean, that's. He didn't even. It's a, sip, a mere sip of each one. We even gave you a little bit of beer beforehand to just try to ruin your palate. Yeah, well, no, it's, it's just you know, just, just to water my mouth a little bit. Uh, beer was uh, necessary. Uh, well, maybe there's a profession ahead of me. Water, water tasting. That's <laughs> amazing. We'll catch up tomorrow and discuss the first big mountain of the tour. Mitch, thank you very much. Thank you. And Francois, your your water tasting skills are unsurpassed. Thank we, you. We'll do it again when you want. Merci. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed and Lionel Burney.